of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does it share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, thank you for your word. It's already anointed, but anoint us and our ears to be able to hear it. Lord, give us insight, wisdom, and revelation as we feast from the manna that you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue week number three on our series, He Gave Gifts. We've been looking at the ministry gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Right after Pentecost, the Bible tells us that he gave these gifts unto men, and these gifts he gave to build up and to equip the body of Christ. I haven't focused on this a whole lot over the last couple weeks, but for the sake to break up monotony, let me just give you a few little insights from this scripture. Uh, If you look with me at verse number 12, the Bible says that he gave these things for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Stop right there. He gave these gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. I want you to know something, that you are called to the ministry. That may shock you tonight, but you are. The truth is, the Bible teaches that every Christian is called to the ministry. Now, there are divine callings of leadership in the body of Christ. This is what Paul is dealing with. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher... God has called some people to vocational ministry to focus their life on equipping and training the body of Christ. Not everybody is called to do that. Uh, I I do believe there's an old saying, you can have too many uh, chiefs and not enough Indians. Amen? And a lot of times churches get lopsided because everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody can't be a leader. You understand everybody can't be the manager of the restaurant. Somebody has to wash dishes. Somebody has to drop the fries. Somebody has to turn the sign on. So God has a place for all of us in his ministry. So all of us are called to ministry. Now, you may not be called to be a pastor or an evangelist or a prophet or whatever, but there are things that we're all called to. We're all called to share our faith. Amen. There's no special anointing for that. There's There is um, the gift of an evangelist we're going to talk about tonight. has a specific gift in the body of Christ. But we're all called to share our faith, everybody. Nobody is exempt from sharing about Jesus with others. God expects that of each and every one of us. Okay? It should be as easy as talking about Jesus to somebody as breathing air, right? How do I know that? Well, when I was in the world and I wasn't living for the Lord... If you were to hit my hand with a hammer, hallelujah, probably wouldn't have came out. You know why? Because what's in always comes out, especially under times of pressure. But I'm telling you, Christians ought to be full of Jesus, and Jesus ought to come out whenever we're talking to people and whatever. It's always a tragedy to me when I hear about people who've 
who've been to church all their life and the people on their job don't even know they're Christian. And we live in America. How is that? People ought to know that we're Christians. Not because we're Bible thumpers, not because we're holding banners, not because we're saying God hates this and God hates that, but by the way that we live our life in front of people, they should, they should know that we are Christians, okay? It should be evident. But God gave these gifts for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, sharing our faith. We're all called to pray, amen? That's really weak. Y'all got to give me something to work with. We're all called to pray. People say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not called to be an intercessor. The devil is a liar. There's no, there, there were intercessors in the Old Testament, and, and, but, and, but we're all called to pray. Amen. We're all called to give and support. We're all called to, to serve in our church. We're all called, there are many things we're all called to. And so the, the gifts of ministry, God gives those so that we can give you the necessary tools to be able to live a Christian life. See, the truth is, at the end of the day, I don't want to just teach you a good sermon about prayer. I don't want you to leave here and say, my, my, what a fantastic message on prayer pastor taught. No, no, no. If that's what you get when we leave, you have missed the point. My goal is not simply to teach you about prayer. Uh, my, my goal is to teach you principles of how to pray. Principles of how to function in the gifts of the Spirit. Principles of how to share your faith. And so it's not so much about inspiring but about equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And so that said, I spent a lot of time on my introduction, but I wanted to break up the monotony because I've been kind of saying the same thing. But um, real quick, real quick, I won't spend but a moment, but as you see on our graphic tonight, there's a hand. And the reason why that hand is there is because the hand, some people in a real simplistic fashion, have chosen to use the hand to uh, basically identify and define those five ministry functions that God give, that Jesus gives us. And if you wrote in the very first week, I told you to draw a hand. If you, if you haven't done that, you still got time to catch up with us. But the thumb, I said represented what? The apostle. Why? It can touch every single other finger. Now, you, you try to use your other fingers to touch every one. You might can make it. I'm not going to say you can't, but it's going to be really weird, Okay. But the thumb can touch every other finger. Then we did the pointer finger. Who remembers what that was? Uh, why? Because it points the way. It's de declarative. It declares. Okay? Then the middle finger, we talked about how it extends further than every other finger on the normal hand. And the reason why we do that one is because that signifies what? The evangelist. Why? Because the evangelist is always outreaching for far, far and wide. Then we talked about the ring finger, and the ring finger we talked about symbolized the pastor, okay, because why? Because he's married to the church, okay? You can be a minister without having a flock, but you can't be a pastor without having a flock, okay? you got to have a flock. And then the last one was the small pinky finger, and we talked about that being symbolic of the teacher because it gives balance to the hand. Try to grab something and not use that finger and it does get a little weird. You might be able to do it, but you're going to be off balance. So without the ministry of the teacher in the church, you get off balance. And so tonight we're going to look at this gift 
of the ministry of the evangelist. Now, I've said this time and time again, that we've often made the mistake of calling everything that's a guest speaker either a missionary or an evangelist, right? Uh, but the truth is, there are some people who travel and speak, like my friend, Neil Kennedy. He'll tell you in a heartbeat, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a prophet, I'm a teacher, okay? So he's got a traveling ministry of teaching. Um, there are other people that I know that do Bible prophecy, and not like Perry Stone, he gets wild and crazy, but, but Perry is an evangelist, he's an evangelist teacher. But, um, but there are some people who are just teachers who just, you know, they, they have a ministry of teaching, maybe on a subject or whatever. They're not necessarily an evangelist. You have some people who come to churches and they stir up the church. They have a word for the church. And, you know, maybe not a lot of lost people get saved, but the church, you know, goes in a different direction or God inspires them. They operate in that prophetic ministry. Then you've got the apostolic ministry, which I have said uh, the closest thing to the 12 apostles we have today would be missionaries who are going and taking the gospel into unreached areas. So we see these functions all throughout the New Testament and in the body of Christ. But tonight I want to talk specifically about the ministry of the evangelist. What is the ministry of the evangelist? The ministry of the evangelist, simply put, is somebody that God has called in the body of Christ specifically to, to, to herald the church in reaching the lost okay to herald the church in reaching the lost it's important for us tonight to realize that even though there is a gift of the evangelist the bible calls we're all called to share our faith okay see if if we weren't weren't good studiers of the word of god it would be easy for us to say well i'm not called to do that no 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 Paul told the church of Corinth, all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the world to Christ. That's our, that's our job. But that doesn't mean we have that God called, that, that ministry gift of the evangelist. That gift in the function in the body of Christ is a gift that teaches and trains and enables the church to do greater in their soul-winning efforts. And so tonight, I want to I tell you that um, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So as shepherds, we're going to talk about shepherds next week, pastors, but as shepherds, there's a certain role that we have. Primary function is to, uh, to tend to the flock, to to feed the flock, really, to pray for the flock, to feed the flock, to warn the flock of danger, to encourage the flock. Sometimes we have to bury the flock if the flock dies. You know, there's lots of responsibilities that goes on. But Paul also told Timothy, which was his spiritual son and the pastor of Ephesus, to do the work of an evangelist. That's why every week I give altar calls for the, for the lost. It doesn't matter what I preached on. I could preach on the joy of the Lord. I'm going I'm I'm to wind it up some way. And say, does anybody here know Jesus if you don't know Jesus? Because you never know. I heard, a, I heard a wise man say one time, he said, you never know who's sitting in your congregation. You just never know. It could be the next Charles Wesley, or it could be the next Charles Manson. You never know. But it's our responsibility to preach the gospel and to, to share Christ even as shepherds. 
And so that's why we're always constantly doing that. So we're teaching, we're discipling, but then there's this ministry of the evangelist. Now, let me tell you, there are some pastors who are very evangelistic. But there are some evangelists who are not very pastoral. And I want to tell you a story about my friend. And I will only tell you this because he tells the same story. Now, uh, back in the early 2000s, one of my friends, um, he was a Southern Baptist. Uh, he was in the office of a pastor at a crusade. They grabbed hands. They prayed. And unbeknownst to him, he started speaking in tongues. God baptized him in the Holy Spirit. He wasn't even looking for it. In fact, he had preached against it. Like John MacArthur. He had preached against it. I don't believe in that. He, if people are either crazy or it's the devil. But he's sitting there and they're praying because the night before in their service, a young person started manifesting a demon. Now, I mean, listen, if you think tongues freaks out a Baptist church, that really does. And, uh, and so anyway, they started praying. The, the pastor said, we need to pray before tonight's service. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? He was given the left foot of fellowship. And so he found himself among our family, the Assemblies of God. And uh, did great as an evangelist. He preached in our district camp meeting several times and everything. But, you know, it got a little hard being on the road. And if you've never been an evangelist or a traveling itinerant person, realizing that, number one, you're not guaranteed an income, right? You, you, it's hard to book meetings with pastors. Of course, you've got to have faith and all this stuff. But he just said, you know, I think I'm going to plant a church. And, you know, the thing is, they planted this church, and it exploded within the first year. They had 200, 300, 400, up to like 800, and then it all fell apart. You know why? Because you got to be a pastor to be able to pastor a church. You can preach good messages as that fiery evangelist, but unless you have the structure or the staff or the team around you to, to, to actually solidify those pastoral things and to shepherd people, it's not going to work. In fact, I would tell you tonight, there are many people that I know, not personally, but people that I know in the body of Christ that are really, they were good evangelists that pastored a church. Let me tell you one, Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart, although he fell, and I don't agree with all that, and I'm glad that he's found repentance and everything. I'm super, their ministry still impacts people. But let me tell you something. If you think Brother Swaggart is doing all the pastoral ministry at Family Worship Center, uh-uh. He's preaching on TV, he's traveling, whatever. Preaching the word, but he's an evangelist. But there are other people that are shepherding the church. Okay? So we've got to understand and identify these functions because they're important for us to, re to recognize. Okay? So what I'm trying to say there is, here's what I, here's what I was trying to, to get with that. There are some, some pastors who are very evangelistic. And then there are some people who are tired of traveling and they're trying to be an evangelist that you, or they're trying to be a pastor but that usually doesn't work out too well okay guess what happened he went he went turned the church over to somebody went back on the road and his ministry boom, exploded new people salvations every week baptisms you name it because you gotta walk in the calling that God has called you to amen 
Amen. A lot of times people get hung up and they know that God has called them to preach. God set them apart for vocational ministry. But that doesn't necessarily mean He wants them to pastor a church. Amen. And we got to do better at equipping people to know what those functions are so we don't put them in the little box that we want them to be in. Amen. That way they can be successful in the area that God has called them to. So tonight, we're going to look at the ministry of an evangelist that the Bible talks about in the Scripture. The best one we have, we're going to look at this and we're going to look at some others, but um, is a man by the name of, of uh, the, the best evangelist is uh, Stephen. But we also see Philip uh, in the New Testament moving into an evangelistic call. So we're going to look at a couple of those tonight. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, looking at evangelism and the gift of the evangelist. Number one, one thing that sets them apart, number one, evangelists, they have a divine call and passion. A divine call and passion. Somebody who is an evangelist is eat up with the idea of only just winning souls. In fact, people who are true evangelists, the fact of being stationary and pastoring a church, it just abhors them. They just, they, they don't want to do it because they want to go reach people who need to know about Christ. And so those evangelists, they have that divine call and that divine passion. Divine call, divine passion. That calling drives them to reach the lost no matter where they are. Now, I've got a couple of friends who are true blue evangelists. And you can't go anywhere without, with, without them actively sharing their faith. Now, we should all do that. But what I'm speaking of tonight is like next level over the top. And you can never be over the top soul winning. Don't misunderstand me, but I'm saying in comparison to what we would call normal. It's next level. It is what drives them at night. Whether it's Starbucks, whether or not it's, it's in the mall, whether or not it's in Walmart, it doesn't matter. Uh, one of my particular friends that I was with, in fact, it's the brother that I told you about who tried to pastor a church and it fell apart. He had came to Alexandria. He preached in our church when we were in Louisiana. And he, he said, man, I want to take you out to a nice meal. So he took me out to this, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but it was a Brazilian-type steakhouse. It was really neat. And anyway, we couldn't hardly eat because he was winning the, the waitress to Christ. And I sat there. And I felt ashamed of myself as a pastor. Because I'm like, the book of Ecclesiastes said there's a time for everything. And now it's time to eat. I'm being honest with you. And, 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 but you know what Jesus said coming after the woman at the well? You know, and I don't want to get too far on myself. But whenever Jesus encountered the woman at the well... He knew it was going to be an iffy situation, so he sent the disciples away into the city for food. And, and Jesus ministers to her and gets her, gets her in the right direction. And here they came back, and they got their little snacks and stuff. And, and Jesus is like, I'm not hungry. I got food that you don't know what, what, what kind of food I have. 
And they're saying, what, what does he mean? Did he, did, he, did he get something to eat while we were gone? And Jesus said, my meal, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. And I sat there in that restaurant that day ashamed of myself. But you know what? I walked away, and you know, for days I thought about that. And I still think about it. And I, you know what? It inspired me to be more emboldened, to be willing to inconvenience myself to reach people no matter where they are. Because an evangelist realizes that there are people who are not going to walk through the doors of the church. you got to go get them. He inspired me. He inspired our church to be able to go farther in our community and reach people for Christ. That's what they do. Number two, we'll go quickly tonight. Number two, evangelists have an unusual boldness. They have an unusual boldness. Um, I want to read a scripture tonight. It's in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn over there. Uh, but in Acts, the, the second chapter, there is a powerful, powerful statement here. Now, Peter was an apostle. He definitely operated evangelistically. Peter received boldness. Now, people say, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to Moses. I'd like to talk to Eve and ask her why they ate that stuff. People say, I want to talk to, you know, Methuselah and find out what it was like to live that long. Um, I kind of want to talk to Peter. He was interesting. He's a fisherman and, you know, he was, he was, he was, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? He was, he was loyal to a point when it, when it didn't really matter, but when it mattered, you couldn't find him. You know, he was hasty enough to cut off Malchus, the servant's ear in the garden. Jesus had to put his ear back on. But yet at the cross, the Bible said he was nowhere to be found. He was in the shadows of the cross. While Jesus was there at the most detrimental time of his ministry. Seriously. There was John and there was Jesus' mother and Peter was in the shadows somewhere. This was the guy who was like, I will never leave you, Jesus. Proud. Boisterous. But something happened. Something happened. The Bible told us it would happen. But it definitely happened to Peter. You see, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. And Peter was in that upper room. This is the guy who denied Christ in the presence of a little girl. This is the guy who boasted and bragged that he would never leave Jesus. But yet at the first opportunity, he was gone. But Peter was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon his life and gave him boldness. And I love what the scripture says uh, in Acts chapter 2. Peter literally uh, comes down 
the steps of the temple, the wind is blowing, the wind of the Holy Spirit, they're speaking with tongues, everybody hears in their own language, and uh, Peter is telling these people to repent, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promises to, to you, and not just unto you, but to your children, and to your children's children, and to as many who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter had a, a boldness about him. One thing that I've noticed about God-called evangelists, they're bold. I've got another friend. Hopefully you'll get to meet him sometime. He tried that pastoring thing, and he found out, I, I'm not, I'm not, this is not my calling. He's an evangelist. He spent time in prison, delivered from drugs. Um, God miraculously saved and changed his life. He, he does a lot of missionary evangelism. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to run the risk of offending not anybody in this room, but probably somebody who's listening. When the war bro- broke out in the Ukraine, the Assemblies of God pulled our missionaries out because somehow being a missionary is not supposed to be dangerous anymore. You know, the first missionaries we sent out of Azusa Street packed their belongings in coffins, and they never expected to come home. Hello? My friend Elliot books a plane ticket with, with CFAN, Christ for All Nations, Reinhardt Bonnke's ministry. He's an evangelist. You know what he did? He said, everybody's leaving. Man, I'm not leaving. I'm going to go and reach people when it really matters. You know what the Bible says about a pastor? who runs when trouble comes, when he sees the wolf. The Bible calls him a hireling. You don't run when there's trouble. You run to it. Man, it's his greatest hour. And so you know what I found out? They're on the border of the Ukraine. They're winning all kind of people to Christ. Lots of people to Christ who are scared for their life. Family members, soldiers, People who were having difficulties. But you know what? Thank God for people who are called, God called evangelists, who are willing to have a boldness about their life. Like like the early apostles, who I told you the apostles can touch everything. So they had to be pastors and teachers and evangelists. And so Peter was operating in that. And all those people got saved on the day of Pentecost. But I thank God for evangelists who have that unusual boldness. Here's another thing I love about the gift of evangelist, which, by the way, Jesus was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Evangelists, they go to the down and out. Referenced it a moment ago. Won't read it again for the sake of time. But in John chapter 4, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. If you know anything about history, culture, Jewish tradition, not any place that a Jewish person would be caught dead. These were the people that, and I don't mean any offense by this, because I found out by doing a 23andMe, we're all mixed breeds. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm not fully white. I got all kind of stuff in me. But, but in the Jewish culture, th- there was an element that they didn't like to mix the race. Okay? 
we, 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 we taught through that in the book of Acts when God called Peter to go reach these people and Peter was like, not me, Lord, not me. And then all of a sudden he has a vision of a sheet with unclean animals and God has to start talking to him in a language he can understand. So this is a place nobody would, would be caught. But Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria. He goes and he finds a woman there. Woman, in the middle of the day, drawing water we got a lot of problems here first of all she's in the middle of the day it's the wrong time of day she shouldn't have been there normally at that time but she was probably there because she was embarrassed because the scripture tells us that she was a woman who had been with relationship after relationship after relationship and she as the old country song said looking for love in all of the wrong places she was drinking from wells and was still thirsty. And Jesus found her. Not only was she in Samaria, but she was a woman. Another strike against her in Jewish culture. But you know, Jesus went and found this woman in John chapter 4. He got down on her level. He started talking about what she was interested in. You know, that's just a little side note right there. Uh, you don't have to sin like to win people to Christ, when the Bible says become all things to all people, that is, that's not what it means. But become all things to all people, sometimes, sometimes to reach people, you got to meet them where they're at. Amen? You really do. If you want to reach veterans, you got to get on their level. If you want to reach motorcycles, you, you name it. If you want to reach hunters, fishermen, you name it. you got to meet people where they are. But Jesus began to talk about water. And then all of a sudden, it began to talk about religion. Well, where, who are you with? And well, my fathers used to worship over here. And Jesus said, listen, you really don't know what you're talking about. He said, if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Jesus revealed, she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, he was a prophet. But he was more than a prophet. The Bible says that that woman left her water well, went back into her city, and told everybody about Jesus that she had encountered. This lady doesn't say in the scripture, but historically, they tell us, was responsible the gospel to her area because she went back home and said let me tell you about who I met today I met this man that he read my mail he knew not only that I had been married all these times but he knew the one I was living with wasn't married I wasn't married to and he began to talk to me about my life and man she said you need to come see Jesus powerful you know that should be our response when we meet jesus is to want to tell other people about him amen true evangelists they go to the down and out here's the last one and i'll be quick and i actually want to want you to turn over here to acts the eighth chapter acts the eighth chapter and i want us to look Oh, let's see here. Let's look around verse 20. 
6. Acts 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go down the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert, meaning there's nothing there. So he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, was under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, get this, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, where Isaiah said, the spirit, uh, yeah, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me or, or explains it to me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And this place in the scripture where he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? About himself or some other man? And then Philip, watch this, opened his mouth and at the beginning of this scripture and preached Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, there came to, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, leaving this man saved. Dude, that's a story right there. And I could preach a whole lot of doctrinal truths just from that passage. The Bible tells us that, first of all, um, you know, if you look at it, this Ethiopian convert, powerful. He's by himself. He's a person of influence. He's in Candace's household. She's, he's her treasurer. So he's, he's a trusted person in the house of royalty. He's come to Jerusalem to worship. But all of a sudden, he just happens he just happens to be reading the place that talks about Jesus being crucified. The prophetic scriptures. He just happens to be reading it. And Philip comes beside the chariot and he hears it. And the Bible says the man invited Philip up to explain it to him. Can I tell you something, church? Let me, let me just pause real quick. We got to stop assuming people understand the gospel. Thank God this man was smart enough to say, can you explain it to me? But we just need to assume, we need to take it simple with people. A lot of times we've been in church our whole life and, and we just, we, we understand it. We know all the Sunday school. We know all the, the Bible school. We know all of the stories. We know Jonah and, and Noah and Moses and Elijah. And we know all of the Red Sea crossings and, and Moses striking the rock. We know all of that, but they don't. We got to explain it to him. So he explained it to him. 
And then the man has a desire to be baptized. You know, it always makes me scratch my head when I've talked to somebody and I say, hey, have you been baptized? They said, no, I've not been baptized yet. Well, how long have you been a Christian? Well, you know, a while. And I said, well, how come you, how come you haven't been baptized? Well, I don't know. I just really don't think I should. I haven't really felt led to do that. Well, you, uh, baptism's not really something you need to feel led to do. He kind of told us to do that. Amen. He told us to do it. It's obedience. But then the Bible says that Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. That tells me there wasn't no sprinkling going on. God put water in a desert for a eunuch who happened to be reading the scripture about Jesus being crucified. Hello. I'm telling you, God has a way of setting up stuff. But you know what I like about Philip? He went to just one person. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, I have had some evangelists call the church. Not, not here, but just in my 18 years. I've had people call and want to come to the church. And they say, well, how many can you seat? How much can you pay? Philip didn't ask all that. He just said, yes, Lord. Hello. Philip didn't ask all that. He said, yes, Lord. You know why? Because to somebody who's really called to be an evangelist, one soul is worth it. And they'll cross the ocean, and if they can't get there themselves, God can supernaturally get them there. But God has set these people in the body of Christ to show us and to give us teaching and passion on reaching the lost. And we need evangelists in our church. We need teachers. We need shepherds. We need prophetic people. We, we need everything that God has in its proper context and balance in the body of Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about 